what we do any other time. All right, let's just roll and see what happens. Ladies and gentlemen, joining me on the line for a quick turnaround this week. Friends, his name is Mike Reyes from CinemaBlend.com. He is a real-life movie critic from a real-life place called New Jersey. Mike, how are you? Really do people really question my existence that much? I'm starting to question it now. No, it's just me being me. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> okay, that's fine. I, mean, I, I like to make sure, because I like, I like to address the public's concerns about whether I'm some sort of artificial intelligence or, I don't know, six raccoons in a trench coat. But anyway. A robot? Uh, yeah. Anyways, let's get down to it. Uh, Mike Reyes from CinemaBlend.com joins me every week to talk about movies. Uh, we have the short week this week because, frankly, I'm going on vacation. I don't know you people anymore. <laughs> so Yeah, uh, no, that's the, later this week. And then are, are we doing a show next week or is this supposed to cover next week too? No, well, we we should be able to do next week uh, for the end of the year. So if you want to do, you know, the obligatory, this was the best movie of the year <laughs> thing, right? We can do that. But this week we've got a couple movies we're going to cover uh, cover real, real quick. Uh, one of which came out this weekend. And then the other one I don't know of. But anyways, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, let's start with uh, the Rebel Moon movie. Uh, yes, Rebel Moon, part one, Child of Fire, theatrical cut. You don't sound that impressed here. Uh, did, 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 did my reading of the title and did my embellishing of the title give it away? I'm, I'm sorry. I was, I'm really trying to hide it here. This is painful because of the fact that I am a Zack Snyder fan, and I'm excited that he's cashing a blank check with Netflix and that he gets to do all this neat stuff. And he started like, you know, he started the Army of the Dead universe and people constantly want Netflix to be able to finish his Justice League, which is something I'd still totally be behind. And now he's got Rebel Moon Part One coming to its end limited theatrical release right now. Like if you've got an indie chain, you'll probably be able to find it there. Or if you're buying one of Netflix's theaters in New York and LA, like the Paris Theater, or I think they have the American Cinema, no, the, the Egyptian in Hollywood, I think. I know they have another, they have a theater in Hollywood, but. So what happened here? Oh man. So Rebel Moon started out as a pitch that Zack Snyder had for a Star Wars spinoff he wanted to do. He didn't want to do anything with the existing characters. He wanted to go harder with it, like sort of an R rating. And he wanted to do something different and also tie into the, the Seven Samurai sort of influences that the series has always had. And he, he was really influenced by Seven Samurai with this film. He was rejected. And then when his Netflix partnership came up, he was inspired to sell them, pitch them on the idea, and they bit. So the big problem that I have with this, and it's something similar to what I mentioned with, uh, when I saw Napoleon, is the fact that you've got a movie that the director is telling us, okay, there's a longer cut, there's an R-rated cut that's coming out. But I think it was in an interview with Vanity Fair, he's like, we have a PG-13 cut, so, you know, everybody can watch it. Everybody can see if they want to be a part of the Rebel Moon universe, so to, so to speak. This movie feels like a TV edit because uh -huh. of that. It feels like a network Edit where you know in Zack Snyder movies that if someone's getting beat to hell, there's a chance that there's going to be like slow motion and blood flying through the air and like it gets pretty intense. That sort of scene happens not, it doesn't take too long for that sort of scene to happen in this movie, but in the PG-13 version, no blood, you don't really see the aftermath and it's like you've already put it out there that you want this movie to be rated R and that the extended cut is going to be rated R and have so much more story to it. Why didn't you just release that, considering Netflix didn't make the same sort of deal they did with Knives Out, where they talked to the major chains and were like, look, we'll tweak the window, but we want to put this movie in theaters. 
So that way, you know, we could do something. Apparently, it's not to make money because even when Knives Out was out, I think it was the CEO, Ted Sarandos, was like, we're not in the business of making theatrical money. And I forget the reason why they even said they put Glass Onion out in theaters. But if you're really not that concerned with theatrical release, then why are you putting out a PG-13 cut besides so everyone can watch it? And as a result, this feels like you can see the holes that are missing. You can see where the R-ratedness is going. And it almost feels like a waste of time. It's like, okay, I want to see what this whole movie's supposed to be. Not only is it, does it feel incomplete because it's a PG-13 kind of an R-rated movie, it feels incomplete because it's part one of a potential trilogy and it does not stand on its own two feet. And, you know, I have all these criticisms and it's, it's very derivative and just not very exciting here. But at the same time, I don't know if I can honestly totally criticize it right now because of the fact that soon enough, we're going to have an extended cut that's going to be different. And I, as Zack Snyder has shown us in the past, his extended cuts tend to be better than theatrical, even if you like the theatrical. Let me ask you this, going back to the Star Wars side of this, because he wanted to make a Star Wars movie. Would this movie have fit into the Star Wars world? There's no, we can't really answer that question because of all the changes they had to make. Because if he was still writing this for Star Wars, there would have obviously had to been certain changes. There would have had to been certain story elements they would have had to evade and probably add. And also, this would have also had to go up against the fact that Rogue One existed. And I feel like Rogue One and Rebel Moon would have been like head to head as in comparisons. And you know, if, if he was still making it as a Star Wars movie. It, it's just not not an easy comparison to make okay. outside of that context. All right, we'll leave it there for uh, Rebel Moon. Mike Reyes from CinemaBlend.com on the line with me. Uh, still doing cocaine, as we've come to find out. Yes, I'm still sick, and I'm getting over it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for supporting this trying time. Uh, no problem, no problem. That's what I'm here for. Uh, what are the other movies I want to uh, get to this week? Uh, one you told me a while ago was really, really good, The Iron Claw. Oh, yeah. Oh, the Iron Claw is out this week, and this is one of my favorites of the year. And, and let's preface this by saying, like, you're interested in pro wrestling, but I wouldn't call you, like, a giant pro wrestling. Yeah, I didn't grow up with a, an appreciation for wrestling. But if they had treated this, the sport and the people that played in it the way that the Iron Claw does, with the reverence and the respect, like, I probably would have been following or would have been more amenable to trying <laughs> and it, it was, seriously this is just it's the true well it's based on the true story of the von eric wrestling dynasty and i didn't know that they had left uh supposedly they left a whole brother of the family out of the picture so i didn't know that going in but it's about the family and their just this sort of curse that everyone said it was the von eric curse and you could probably lay the, back, uh, the background down better than I can, but there was just a lot of darkness that followed this family, and you see it in just painstaking, beautiful detail. They are a one of the uh, royal families of wrestling, but, I mean, yeah. that's an understatement to call it a dark history, a curse, or whatever, because it is, they're, uh, as, as good as everything was in the ring for them, like outside of the ring, mm. it, was, it was brutal. I think is one way to say it. Yeah, and I think it was Chris Von Eric, if I'm remembering correctly, is the one brother of the family that they didn't include in the film. I haven't seen it yet, so I, I don't know off the top of my head. But uh, this stars uh, yeah. Zac Efron, uh, Jeremy Allen White, 
among many others, including uh, yeah. Maxwell Jacob Friedman, who is the AEW world champion at the moment, MJF, who we've talked about on this show before for his uh, 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 meltdown on whether it's acting or not. But uh, uh, good movie, though, huh? Fantastic. Although I will say that uh, MJF is barely in the movie from what I from what I understand. Because even having, after having seen it, uh, you don't really see his character. Yeah. And then someone else who was following wrestling is like, oh, yeah, he's like in this scene for like a couple seconds. He gets a line. But you mentioned Zac Efron and just this is a cast that is made of absolute winners. Because you've got Zac Efron, Jeremy Allen White, Harris Dickinson as, as some of the brothers. You've got Maura Tierney and Holt McElhaney playing the, the parents. And there's just all of the, um, uh, Lily James is in here too, as uh, Kevin Von Erich's wife, Pam. There is so much star power in here, but nobody, like the movie rejects even trying to be an overblown biopic where it's like doing everything loud and big and amping up melodrama. Uh, Writer-director Sean Durkin is just very tender with the story that he's telling. And there's just moments and performances that are in here that just will it breaks you slowly if you go back to when these guys were big it was during the territory days oh yeah that it, it i i think what people may not know about this especially if you're not in the pro wrestling world uh everybody knows it as you know wwf wwe what it is now right one big organization yeah. And back in the, it, it didn't start going to the WWE or WWF, like really that type of thing until the eighties. Mm -hmm. Before that, it was all these different territories all around the country that, you know, guys would, you know, move, move to like you'd have, uh, and if you want a really great explanation of the territories, uh, listen to Jim Cornette. Uh, he's got a couple different podcasts out there and he really knows his history and really knows his stuff. Uh, when it comes to this shameless plug for that. But um, when you get into all this territory stuff, it's guys moving around because it's the, I can't miss you if you never go away. It's the NWA champion traveling around doing all this stuff. Oh yeah. And then you had uh, families that were, you know, kind of a dynasty kind of, you know, like the Von uh, Eriks families, like the Von Eriks that would go and like, they do go into that in the movie because you see, like one of the things that it's not just about the brothers, like it is, there's also a, a heavy undercurrent of Fritz von Eric's career. And Fritz. Hope, Hope McCallany plays just brilliantly in that role. But you learn about that sort of side of the business because they're talking about, okay, you've got to go on tour. You got to do this. And then we're going to get a title shot. And then we're going to go against this guy. And they well, do a really good job of balancing the personal aspect, but also this is a decent primer to someone who wants to know about that era of wrestling. Well, this is also at the point where you were either in the know or you won't work. Yeah. Like for a lot of the world, this was still very, very real. Like this was a real sport. Like this were, you know, and I'm not saying there weren't real fights involved, but it was, it, it was, um, it was real. You know, traditional sport. Yeah, it was it was a definite competition, and and uh, it, you you've got uh, going back to the Jim Cornette stuff. He'll tell stories about you know as a heel, you had to be careful of where you went, of what you did, what you know. Uh, uh, you had fans, you know, trying to stab you <laughs> in some of these places. Uh, there was uh, you know uh, they've talked about if 
you know, a heel went into a restaurant and he saw one of the faces there, he would leave because it was still, you know, people, you know, it, it, kayfabe and all that wasn't a thing yet. Oh, yeah. And then not to spoil anything, but another good moment of that is like you see a particular match between Ric Flair and Kevin Von Erich go down. And like it starts with, you know, him on TV doing that usual Ric Flair cloud, crowd work and everything. And then after the fight, you know, they're, they're talking in the locker room. The, the Von Erichs are there. You know, I think it's Kevin Carey and their father. And then Ric Flair comes in and he's like, oh, man. He's like sort of he's friendly with them and he's like raving about how the fight was and everything. And then he's like, you, you want to come out for a drink or something? They're like, nah. and he's like, Oh, okay. Let's change your mind. No, it was a very, very different world. So, uh, one of the cool things I did see on this was, uh, an interview with Chavo Guerrero who worked on this and he's a long time, uh, uh, wrestler for WWE. He's been a part of AEW. I want to say maybe it was an AC, uh, WCW as well. But anyways, he was, uh, kind of the, one of the trainers on this and, uh, he said Efron and uh, Jeremy Allen White could go. That at the very least, after this movie, that they could probably put on a match and have it be believable. Which is amazing. And yeah, he was, uh, Chavo was the, the wrestling consultant for the film. And you, people were already, when the screening I was in, it was critics, but there were also a couple like wrestling fans and wrestling press people there. And they were saying that, yeah, it, it stood up. And Again, just Efron is in the middle of this wonderful cast. The dude holds holds his own so damn well. Like he's I know a lot of people like to say, Oh, it's a transformative performance. And yeah, to a certain extent this is a transformative performance because we've never really seen him that built. And even like his own jawline. Like just it's it you see Zach Efron in the eyes, but like the rest of his face kinda he kinda looks like a gladiator, a barbarian, like this big beefcake of a guy. That, beefcake. Yeah, you know it's Zac Efron, but he is a bit beefcake. But he is a bit unrecognizable in a sense, and he just throws his energy to, into it. And again, there's no false note played by anyone in this. Uh, Mike Reyes from CinemaBlend.com on the line with me. So the Iron Claw is the definite, definite one you want to go check out this weekend or just here at some point. Um, but, 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 was there any other movies coming out this week that we needed to talk about or um, well I haven't seen it yet but well Little Chicken Run came out last week the new um, Chicken Run Aquaman's out this week which I haven't seen yet Uh, going back to Aquaman real quick do we think this is going to be any good I honestly have no clue I will say I mean with we'll say because it's kind of in a weird spot <sighs> with uh, them going in a new direction with DC movies going in a new direction with DC movies been delayed out the wazoo there's apparently been so many changes and like reshoots to it the we've like gone stuff. from we've gone from ben affleck superman i know superman, ben affleck's batman to michael keaton's batman to probably no it might have been keaton's batman to affleck's batman if there even is still a batman in this movie i don't want to sound bad because momo is kind of a big thing here in iowa but i i just momo i can't is awesome no, he is in general, but I mean, just, I, I, I don't know what it is about this movie, but I cannot, I, I, I don't care that it's coming out. I don't have any interest to go see it. I, I, I don't feel like there's much buzz about it. Even, yeah, with, I even, just... even with people that are like, you know, hardcore, like comic book movie people. Like, I just don't feel like anybody, like it, it's kind of, it, it's kind of an afterthought now is, is what it kind of feels like. Yeah. I mean, again, the the stakes are kind of low because of the fact that we don't know where 
the, well, we know where the DCU is going in title, but not in stories. Yeah. And that's just, that's another thing that's kind of push and pull. Like we're continually seeing updates from the new Superman and hearing about stuff that's either confirmed or denied for the new gun run. But then you've still got this movie that's coming out and it's like, okay, uh, everybody, we need to know what to expect. And I don't think any, well, I just don't think anybody knows what to expect or what okay. to even take from it. So, all right, Mike Reyes from CinemaBlend.com joins me every week to talk about movies over on the side of news while we're recording. Uh, news about Jonathan Majors has come out. Yeah. Um, so his ongoing trial in New York has reached a verdict. And Jonathan Majors is found guilty of one count of third-degree assault, one count of second-degree harassment, but acquitted of two other counts of assault and aggravated harassment. Uh, this came after five hours of deliberations over three days, according to ABC News. And, yeah, this is stemming from the allegations this past March from his then-girlfriend, Grace Jabari. Now, with what he was found guilty of, what does that mean from here on out? You mean in terms of Marvel? Like, or what well, is, I mean, is this jail time for him? Is this, do we know yet? That, that I, I don't think we know yet. Okay. I, don't, I don't know personally. I wouldn't, I'm not a legal expert, but it looks like that sentencing would be the next case. Uh, would maybe either sentencing or an appeal would be the next step. Okay. Boy, you talk about a guy that he, the year started out pretty good for him. And has gone south really fast. Yeah. Um, oh, no, I'm seeing it here. The actor is, according, again, same ABC News report. The actor is scheduled to be sentenced for the two guilty counts on February 6th. He faces up to a year in prison on the two misdemeanor accounts, though that sentence is unlikely for a first-time offender. The judge also renewed an order of protection that prevents majors from any contact with Jabari. Oh, boy. Yeah. I would say that's... Marvel is done. Like they've already been looking to move away from Chang anyway. So if there was any, I mean, I don't see. I I I, I see very little chance of them continuing with that. How do you? I guess the question is in this case, how do they pivot from here? You know what I'm saying? True. And I guess the good thing is that because of the state that the Marvel universe is in right now, there's a lot of room. But there's just I I don't see I see no, I, I see very little if not com, just a complete closing off closing him off from the role and then that that also probably means that the film that he was supposed to be camp, it, it, in another universe he would have been campaigning with magazine dreams for searchlight pictures for an Oscar this year who knows if that film will ever be released but obviously this all circles back to the fact that we're dealing with a case here that there has been some very serious accusations of personal harm and coercion and, and harassment. And now all we can really hope for is for the justice system to continue processing and for all involved to either make amends or find a way forward. Let me ask you this. Uh, Marvel doesn't have to pay him, right? Like for movies that he was supposed to do? That would depend on however his contract was structured. I mean, there's probably I mean, something in the contract know. that says, hey, if you get into trouble, we cut ties. There there has to be that in there, right? One would think, but then again, for all we know, there was an agreement that was made. And then again, this is just me speculating. Yes, uh, not speculation. Theoretically, they could have made a, a deal with him where he was already committed to several movies and was already paid for those movies. So now it would just be a case of Marvel probably has some sort of clause in the contract that could cut that tie. And again, as to your point, it could probably be something like, look, 
if there's any sort of misconduct, they could probably do anything from specify if there's just allegations to if there is a conviction or if there's some sort of legal trouble, you're done. I mean, this is Disney, so I, I imagine the image thing has to be in there somewhere. Not just Disney. This is Marvel. Like, this is one of Disney's golden gooses. Yeah. I, I, agree. I, I agree. I think it would, it, it, the, it's already probably in the contract, in the works, and all that has to happen is a legal execution of that option. Again, pure speculation on my part and your part, but, I mean, you just have to think, you know? Yeah, this is... This is way too serious versus, you know, uh, whatever other problems or controversies we've seen with other Marvel character, Marvel, Marvel uh, actors. I just I wonder what they do because they're always so tight on timeline and what's setting up what and so on and so forth. God, you got to wonder what they're going to do. Actually, you know what? Here, here's the thing. You know what's going to happen? We're going to get something. You know, whatever they pivot to, right? Mm-hmm. Ten years down the line, we're going to get the uh, release of the stories that were supposed to happen. What what, what the actual plan was? I wouldn't be surprised. Like <laughs> uh, new records show what Jonathan Major's role in the MCU would have been, or you know, something like that. You know? Yeah. Just again, let's hope that the process is swift and just, and I hope that Grace Jabari is doing well after all of this. Yeah, that must that had to have been just. Of course, it had to have been traumatizing just to relive all of this in in the court. No matter what the no matter what the act the purpose was, because it was obviously to hold him accountable for his perceived and alleged actions. But still, that's just who wants to live with that again. Yeah. All right, Mike Grace from CinemaBlend.com. I want to wrap up with one final thing. What are your three holiday movies that you must watch before the Christmas season or Hanukkah or whichever uh, denomination you uh, happen to be? White Christmas, uh, Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, I'm trying to think of a third good one. And not just Mickey's Christmas Carol, because that's a special, but I've also mentioned a Christmas Carol variant. You know what? Uh, my son son and I watched a Christmas, uh, Mickey's A Christmas Carol this weekend. Still holds up. It's awesome. Always. Okay. Small rant, but first of all, Jingle All the Ways, one that I love to throw in every year. But that out of the way, Mickey's Christmas Carol is one of the best Christmas carols because it has everything you need for that story to work. All of the components. In all 26 the minutes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I don't mind. I don't mind the long. I mean, Muppet Christmas Carol is like an hour and a half. Still beautiful. Still does it right. And there's so many good decisions I could talk about in there. Like the fact that when you get to the ghost of Christmas future, Rizzo and Gonzo excuse themselves. They're like, whoa, this is too scary for us. We're leaving. Yeah. So not only is that a good, a good preface for parents to like prepare their kids and to watch after them, but also that last sequence is allowed to play perfectly because you don't have the narrators that are comedic. Like it does not, uh, not that they were undercutting anything before that, but it's just, if there's any time that they do not need to be there, it's that. You know, and then yeah, Mickey's just yeah, that yeah. that that one's really good. Uh, you know what movie uh, has slowly kind of crept <clears> into? Uh, I it must be watched during the holiday season for me. What the Grinch, the newest one? Oh, that is oh the newest one. See, I was about to say the Jim Carrey Grinch is another one I need to watch. Listen, the Jim Carrey Grinch isn't bad, and, and I don't. But the mind new one it. is quite good too. The new one is 
really underrated. Yeah, and I think it's just people sort of, ever since Cat in the Hat came out, I think it's still been a very uphill battle for any other Seuss, even animated, to really make traction. I mean, you had the Lorax and Horton Hears a Who, and those, I guess, did okay, but it wasn't like... The Grinch, which The Grinch did. The Grinch crushed at the box office, if I remember correctly. Like the Jim Carrey one. I don't remember. I'd have to go back and look. Uh, all I, I would know, have to go back and look. I, the, uh, the, the Jim Carrey Grinch, I could tell you this about it. It was, I was in the Walmart in Pella, Iowa. And I had not seen the movie yet. And it was back when they would put, uh, you know, like one of the movies on the TVs, you know? Oh, yeah. And they had that one on, and I'm standing there watching it. And it's the part where the car, he wrecks the little, little tiny car, and it blows up. Oh, yeah. I started laughing in the middle of that store like I had seen the funniest thing on Earth. It was amazing. So... But yeah, I, I I really like that one. I'm still more of uh, uh, a Christmas story is one I have to watch. Um, yes, Christmas story is definitely one. Uh, nationally, I have not seen the sequel to that th- yet, though. We got to do that at some point. Oh, Christmas story story. Yeah, it's cute. I really liked it. Okay. But yeah, National Lampoons is an easy one. You got to watch. And you know what's funny about National Lampoons? I still I keep watching that movie, and there are new things I notice in it that I've never seen before. I have not watched that movie in years. Wow. I never noticed for the longest time the, uh, uh, in the kid's room, he has a, a poster of two turtles having sex. <laughs> it's, wow. Oh, I, wow. I never noticed it before, but yeah, it's stuff like that. But anyways, um, oh, I, I know what I want to wrap up with real quick. Okay. Uh, unless you have more Christmas stuff. No, no, not, not that I could think of. I mean, we could go on for forever, yeah, especially yeah, with yeah. all the Shane Black, all the Shane Black Christmas movies that are out there. Yeah, you're right. To wrap up this week, uh, guess what movie we finally watched? What'd you finally watch? Barbie. Oh, now this is going to be interesting. What'd you think? I liked it. And when I say this, I am not trying to be a d- about it. I don't get why it was so huge. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I liked it, but at the same time, there's my wife was surprised when I told her it wasn't on my top 10 of the year. And I was like, no, it's not on my top 10 of the year. I liked it well enough, but it's not, I don't count it in there. I mean, the Mattel story is still messy as hell and doesn't tie in properly. It just feels like commentary for the sake of commentary. Yeah. And then someone had pointed out, my my first problem that I had with the movie was the whole I'm just Ken song happens way too, I didn't notice. Yeah, it happens way too late in the movie. And someone else had mentioned Oh, you know, if they moved it earlier and that was like the Ken's taking over and turning everything into the Kendom, that would have worked better. And I totally agree with that. And it just feels like it's very uneven with its messaging. Like, okay, it's just fine for us to say he's just Ken. He doesn't really matter. Like, we're, we're, we're okay with just saying that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was funny. Margot Robbie is fantastic in it. Uh, what's her name as Weird Barbie is freaking hilarious. Hey. Kate McKinnon. Oh, did you? I think she hosted Saturday Night Live last weekend. And there is a sketch running around TikTok where she performs with Billie Eilish and their two cat ladies at a cat shelter. Oh, I did. And it becomes. I I saw. Yeah. Very funny. It becomes increasingly unhinged, and I love it. But yeah, I going back to Barbie. Like I, I, I liked it. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I, I don't think Will Ferrell fit very well in it. Um, exactly the whole Mattel thing was just wasted there you go all right we'll leave it there for this week 
Mike Reyes from CinemaBlend.com joins me every week on the show to talk about movies. Uh, we'll be back next week with uh, probably uh, a couple movie reviews. Some, uh, hey, this was the best of the year. This is the worst of the year type thing because you have to do it. You're, I wanted to say medically, but I was trying to use media. Medically required. Contractually obligated. Maybe. Something like that. I don't know. But we'll get there. Uh, Mike, have yourself a fantastic holiday. I will talk to you next week. You as well, man. Have a good one. And uh, happy holidays, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> ah!